Have you downloaded the High Performance app yet? Over the last few months, thousands of you have been working with us to give us feedback on how we can equip you with the tools to go after high performance in your life. On the app, there's a search function to get some of our best guests. There's some brilliant exclusive access and there's exercises and masterclasses that enable you to go after high performance on your terms. So go to the App Store, find High Performance and download it now. Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jay Comfrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today. I think the only way I know how to combat something is is by working harder. Can I do more? Can I work harder? Can I push myself more? And it's almost like a head loss thing that I'm fuming. So I'm going to go out and punish myself. I'm going to go out and run on the pitch and I'm going to make myself hurt. I went home and cried to the missus and I was like, it was just that frustration of, I feel like I'm doing everything. I go and knock on the manager's door. What can I do to get in your team? What reason am I not playing? Even now, I know I can't play three games in a week, but even now when the manager names the team and I'm not in the team, I'm annoyed. And the day that I'm not annoyed from not being in a team, I think it's time to hang it up. Coming back the next year, getting 97 points and not winning the league title is obviously obscene. And then having a Champions League final after that, I think that's the big point there, that if we don't win that Champions League final, that team would have struggled to bounce back from that. And I think the fact we still had that chance to achieve something that year was massive. So, welcome to High Performance, the Brighton footballer, James Milner, the most experienced player currently playing in the Premier League, 627 appearances he's made at the time of recording this episode, which puts him third on the list of the highest appearance makers, 61 England caps, not only that, he's won three Premier Leagues, two FA Cups, a League Cup, a Community Shield, the Champions League, this guy's done it all. And in this conversation, of course, we're going to touch on the longevity and the behaviours that have helped him to be there for so long, but also the truth about some big moments that you've no doubt got an opinion on. But now you find out what really happened, the no-holds-barred truth about a career at the top level of football. I think you're going to love this. And if you want even more from James Milner, there's also an exclusive conversation about why he walked away from England and rejected Gareth Southgate's advances to return. If you want to hear that just check out the High Performance app, which you can download right now from the App Store to hear even more from today's guest. But let's get straight to it and welcome James Milner to High Performance. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. James, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What is high performance in your eyes? Um, I'd say, obviously, performing at a high level consistently over a period of time. Um, I'd say most people would think of that at the highest level of whatever you're doing with that sport or whatever, but I also think 
it could be high performance of somebody who, you know, if they're restricted by age, someone who's 55 isn't going to be the fastest person on the planet and win the 100 meters. But if they're performing at their highest level with what they have, I think that's the same. If they're preparing in the perfect way and doing everything they can and performing at a high level, I'd probably say that's that's high performance as well. So it's about people finding like their own version of high performance. I'd say so, yeah. Whatever your your target and your highest level is, if you're, you've done absolutely everything you can to to achieve that preparation, recovery, or thinking about different ways to do it, learning off people, doing it consistently and, and leaving no stone unturned, I'd say that's high performance, yeah. So we're about a minute into the conversation. You've said the word consistent twice. So I think we should start with consistency because, you know, to be a great footballer for a season or two is impressive. To have a 21-year Premier League career and over 600 appearances in the league is so rare. When you reflect on it now, and I know it's not finished, and I'm sure you'll want to add many more appearances to that number, how do you think you've done it? Um, I think a lot of hard work. I think a lot of um, a lot of work from other people, setting you off on the right path early on, going right back to your your parents and you know the values they instilled in you. And um, what were they? I think obviously the hard work was always won. Um, my dad was very good at knowing how to get the best out of me. So he always used to say, you know, you're not going to make it, you don't work hard enough and little things like that. And he knew that I had the personality that, all right, I'm going to prove you wrong. And he knew that he wasn't being horrible how he said it or anything like that, but he knew that I'd be like, all right, I'll show you. And I think that's probably where it started. Um, you know, I always had to do schoolwork before he went out and kicked a ball against the garage and things like that. But those values of making sure you're, you're doing everything you, you, you should be first and, um, Leeds Academy you know a great tradition of, of bringing players through um, the values there and coming into a um, being coached in the right way you know doing your jobs cleaning your boots uh, doing everything you should be and then coming into a, a dressing room of players and learning what you can from them and um, watching those senior players what do they do like what do they do that I can do for myself how do they deal with things what are those players doing that they shouldn't be doing? Right, I need to be strong enough to not follow that path and just progress like that and always try and take the best you can from everybody you're watching or working with, managers, coaches, players. Um, listen to everything you can, I think, is important. As much information as you can and you don't have to take it all on board because ultimately you're steering your ship. There might be the odd time that you say, I don't agree with that, so I'm not going to do that and you go against someone, but... I think listening is a massive thing and then, you know, just trying to uh, keep pushing yourself from that point on going through the years, you know, keep trying to improve and 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 um, trying to stay at that level, really. So when you talk about going into that dressing room, you're a young adolescent boy and the advice to anybody in that situation is keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. What was it you were seeing that you feel you learnt then that you're still applying today in Brighton? I think it was a very different game then. I think like the the players and and how lives were lived and the the, the game was different. You know, the amount of staff was there and things like that. But the, the we had a, a a group of players who'd done very well at Leeds and you know Champions League semi final sex successful players, um, great personalities. Some lads who took me under the wing and and looked after me, kept me away from the media, um, duty after games, and made sure I didn't have to do that and and little things like that. And it gave you time to be yourself. But it was. At that time, keep your mouth shut. I didn't want to 
stand out off the field. I wanted to keep my head down, speak when spoken, do my jobs, don't attract attention in that way. But as soon as you get on the pitch, that's when you want to attract attention, do your job, impress people, try and be the best player and show people you deserve to be there. But off the field, not be noticed, show respect to the guys, keep your head down, not, you know, get bantered for your gear or whatever it is. You know, you don't want to do anything to stand out or the car you're driving, anything like that. Just be under the radar and, and, and you know, hopefully... Um, getting people's minds when you're on the football field. Well, people often dismiss some of this now as old school, whereas some of those old school values have been around that long that it's also common sense. So what were the common sense values that you learned back then in the early 2000s that you think still applies today? Yeah, I think I feel lucky that I'm, I played in the old school, if you like, and then come through to now. I've had an experience of both. And, um, you know, the standards, like, make sure everything's done. You know, the basic stuff, cleaning boots, and it's, you know, picking gear up off the dressing room floor. Even when I was playing in the in, in the first team at Leeds, after the games, you know, I'd scored goals. I was helping the kit man until he gave me the nod and you feel a million dollars. You feel like you're earning the right to be part of this first team. You know, I'm 16 years old. I've been in the academy. We had, we got allocated players and because I was a first year scholar, I had uh, under 18 players' boots to clean. I had a resi player and a first team player and I'm playing in the first team and I carried on cleaning the under 18 captain's boots because, you know, you have to earn your right. He's still older than me even though I'm playing in the first team and and I think that's something that doesn't happen now and young players are very lucky that, you know, they're treated like professionals from eight, nine, ten years of age and, and that's brilliant but I also think the values I learned from earning the right to be in that dressing room by doing the horrible jobs, the, doing the skips after the game and things like that when the kit man turns around to you and says, go and get on the bus, you feel like, oh, not med it, but you know, I'm part of the team now. I'm one of these guys, I've earned that right. And it makes you hungry to, to, to push on again. You said there at the beginning, when you first started, it was about keeping your head down, you know, speak when spoken to, and just get on with things. Something changed though, didn't it? Because I remember hearing Trent Alexander-Arnold saying the one person he wanted to impress when he was in the Liverpool first team was you. You know, Pep Linders at Liverpool, the assistant manager to Jurgen Klopp, said you would stand by the clock as players were arriving and be like, you're late, you're fine. You're... So you might have not spoken too much at Leeds, but there's a moment where you became a leader. When was that? Yeah, I'd probably say moving to Villa, moving to Villa sort of time. Um, I think early on in, in my career, you know, the first time I started and finished the season with the same manager was when I went to Villa. I was probably five or six years in with Martin O'Neill. So that instability is not always easy. You know, you have managers who come in, you've got to start again um, and you're in and out of the team. And I think it's hard to do that when you don't feel a part of the, the team always and you're battling for your place in the team. I think when you can establish yourself in the first team, that gives you the that stability. And I think when I went to Villa, that was probably a time where I started that. And I was fortunate that I started playing when I was 16. So most people, you know, are an experienced player when they're 28, 29, 30. If they start the career around an average sort of time, you know, you're talking eight, nine years into your career that you feel like you've got that voice. I started at 16. So by the time I'm 23, 24, I've had eight years in the Premier League. So I think that gave me an advantage that, you know, naturally becoming a bit more. I've seen this before, or I can help here, and and you gain that confidence and 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 performing well, and and feeling like you're a stable within that team. Then you can start 
worrying less about yourself and thinking more about the team and helping the team more. And I think obviously that is a lot easier when you get older and, and that naturally comes. But I think that advantage of starting so young yep. and keeping my eyes and ears open in those early years and working under captains and then you go somewhere like City with an amazing captain like Vinnie Company, attention to detail. I think that then you just try and, and, and help in that way. And then, you know, even if you haven't got the armband, it doesn't matter. You you can you need more than one leader in a in a team. Cause this is a topic I've been really looking forward to exploring with you, James, because we've spoken to lots of people that are regarded as cultural architects or dressing room leaders, but rarely do we get the chance to explore what that means. So like Jake referenced the example of you calling people out for timekeeping, or I've heard Trent Alexander-Arnold say that he felt he needed to pass your test before he felt fully accepted as a member of the of the first team squad at Liverpool. I'd like you to explain to us, if you if if you don't mind, about how do you go about setting standards. So we understand about timekeeping. We understand about doing the right things off the field. But how do you go about setting them? I think everyone's different, and every everybody does it in different ways. I think. You have people who are vocal. You have people who lead by example. Uh, I think if you can do both, I think that's the the ideal. Um, I think the first thing is setting by example. I think like if you're not doing everything right, it's very hard to pull someone else up for being late if you're late all the time. And late's a simple thing, but it's a respect thing. It's like if you're you think, oh, I'm thirty seconds late, a minute late for a meeting, two minutes late. Well, everybody else in that room is sat there waiting for you. So why should that happen? And people don't see it like that. But if we're a team and we have mutual respect, we're all there on time. And it's a bit of fun. We always had fun with the fines and things like this. But this was our standards. And if you can't be on time for a meeting or training, when it's the most important thing you have to do that day as a footballer, you're, you're training. If you can't be on time, little things like that, then when we're on a field and everything's moving at a million miles an hour and we've got a set piece and we've got a man off injured and we need to reorganise, if you can't be organised enough to turn up to a meeting on time, how are you going to be able to do that in the heat of battle? And I think it all feeds in to little things like that. I think the other thing is as well, as you get older, you notice everything. Or I, I always had this thing where you notice little things. Is someone like, is someone not going in the gym? And why is that? Is there a reason for that? How can you approach that? Is it someone who needs a rocket? Is it someone who needs an arm around them? Is it someone who needs an encouragement? I think that's something that I've learned as a older you start thinking of the game a bit more like that. And I think that was an important role that the manager has so much to worry about in terms of preparing the team, um, media every two days, you know, before, after, all this sort of stuff and things like that. He doesn't need to worry about the dressing room and as senior players, I think that was always important that you run the dressing room and any problems within that, it's stopped before it becomes an issue with the manager, whether that's people not doing what they should, not doing the right things on the days off, not training hard enough. That's down to the players to nip that in the bud before it becomes a problem to the manager. And I, I appreciate the confidences and you don't have to use names, but it would be really helpful if you could give us an example of a time when you thought, that's not right. You delivered the news either with an arm around the shoulder or with a rocket and you saw the, you saw the impact. Yeah, um, I think um, one of the young lads at Liverpool who, who come through and um, amazing ability, a uh, bit of a joker, great lad, um, but, you know, maybe didn't apply himself as much as he could, didn't um, do what he should all the time. And you just try and, 
I remember uh, pre-season and we were in the ice baths and we we had 10 minutes, 15 minutes talking to him and it was one of those where, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you feel he's listening, but you know it's in one ear out the other and you think we're going to have to have that again and you get down the line and we have the conversation again and um, keep pushing him every little thing and 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 it's it's tough because you see so many players are amazing and and have the ability but don't realise the opportunity they have until it's gone and it's too late and they're 24-25 and they're out of the game because they haven't embraced all the facilities they have everything and um, the kid at Liverpool is, is doing so well now and um, I, I'm delighted for him and you can see the character how he's, how he's changed and he's kept that bubbliness and everything he's about but um, it, it, he's um, doing really well and his attitude is top notch and you know sometimes you just need to help him find that path or the, uh, the right way to do that Let's talk about your approach then I'd love to get into some specifics of what you have done let's really sort of Peel back the curtain if you're happy on how someone can have a 21-year a top-flight career and maintain their physical abilities. How deep did you go in trying to make yourself the very best you could be? Yeah, I tried to leave no stone unturned. I think early age, um, you know, made a decision. Obviously, the, the alcohol thing's always brought up, but it's like, is that going to help me be a player? No, it's not, so I'm not going to do that and I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I'm You know, like there's always a right time for people to do it. I'm not against alcohol in any way or anything like that, but it was just a decision I, I felt was right for me that I think if that's going to give me an advantage or help me in any way, I'll do it. So I didn't do that early on. What age? Well, I was I was 16. I mean, I'd have struggled at that point anyway because everyone in Leeds knew I was if I don't want to get a drink <laughs> in the city centre. Anyway. I think there was a story actually where there was a club and I think I'd scored for Leeds. Um uh, that Christmas I think it was either the Boxing Day game the 28th or a nightclub and uh, someone said oh and this one's for James Milner who scored for Leeds in the Premier League today and someone shouted ah oh, I was in his class at school and they're like oh brilliant well that means you're underage then get out and kicked him out <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's chilled out but that's the, the story but the, at that age though it's easy to say right I'm not going to drink it's much more difficult to not drink yeah and I think that's one of the things there's so many times I've been pre- nearly not nearly pressured into it, but people trying to pressure into it. Oh, go on, just have one, and what difference will it make, and and things like that. And I think that goes back to the big thing of of sticking to your guns and the sacrifices you have to make to get to the top in anything. And I think there's always going to be distractions and and going to bed, even back to school. And on a Friday night, you're playing for the academy Saturday morning. Your friends have gone out and doing whatever on a Friday night and your phone's ringing. Oh, come out, come on, blah, blah, blah. And you're in bed because you've got a game the next day. It goes back to there. And you have to be stubborn enough and and, um, single-minded enough to, to be different and not be popular at times and do what other people are doing, whether it's drinking or... Or, or going out and doing things like you have your goal and if that helps me I'm, I'm going to have to have that courage to to be the odd one out at times Courage is the right word as well because I think when you're looking to achieve something great there's a moment where you make the sacrifice but the reward hasn't arrived yet so there's almost this lonely period where you're you're not a professional footballer scoring goals every week but you're also not out with your mates having a beer how did you navigate that period? Yeah I think that period has probably come after for me, I think, because I made my debut so young. I'd pretty much gone straight from school. Then I was on a under-19 tour. I remember getting sent home from the under-19 tour after one game and they said, 
you haven't done anything wrong where you're just going home, you're going to play a lot of football this year. And I thought, what's going on here? Have I done something wrong? And they had the vision for me, obviously, to go into the first team and make that step. And I did that and played first team football. So I didn't really have that dead period, but it was more after where I played that first season. New manager came in, wasn't really playing me. Went on loan for a month to Swindon and then managed to force my way in. And like I said before about changing manager all the time, went to three or four managers at Leeds and went to Newcastle, changed managers so many times. That was sort of the period for me where you're in and out of the team, like the manager keeps changing and, you know, I'd done all right and then not quite was where I wanted to be and it, it's a tough period. That's probably the period there where I look back and I think I could so easily have gone another way there if I didn't stick to my guns or I didn't keep pushing and it'd have been easy to have been disheartened and moving away from home when I was 18 as well and moving up to Newcastle and, and, and living on my own there. So I think that was probably the critical period for me of that where I had to stick to my guns and if the manager wasn't rating me, all right, I'm going to work even harder, I'm going to push more, I'm going to do what I can. Have you ever had a period in your career though where you are backing up a bad game with a bad game and it starts to erode your confidence and your willingness to get on the ball? Um, no, I don't, I don't think like that. I think the most frustrating period in my career for me um, was when I felt like I was playing really well in training, playing well in a game and I, and I wasn't getting picked. And that was the hardest thing. I remember going home and getting upset about it. I, I went home and cried to the missus and I was like, it was just that frustration of, I feel like I'm doing everything. I go and knock on the manager's door. What can I do to get in your team? What reason am I not playing? Like, you're doing everything well, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, I'd rather him say, you're awful at this, this and this. Go and improve that. But, that was never what I got. And what period was this? In your that was when I was at Newcastle, and and I felt like I was doing well when I was playing, training, and just wasn't getting picked in the team. And and that was probably like I said before that period where you're in between, and um, yeah, you feel like you're doing everything you can, but and then you have to go again and keep that belief and keep keep doing it day in day out, even though it hasn't worked, and try and prove and, and every day stand out and things like that but when it's like the goals or if you're doing a different sport you've got times or someone says oh this is you need to improve this technically it's, it's different in football it's an opinion sport and you you're always got opinions whether it's fans whether it's managers players whatever it is you, you can try change those opinions but ultimately if the manager's the guy picking the team you can be playing the best football and you, if you're just not having you what can you do about that? And I think that's obviously changing man managers the hardest thing. But if you don't have a direct thing, I need to go and work on this. Well, where do you go from there? So you have to look at yourself and how can I improve? Can I get stronger? Can I do bits like this? What do I think will get me in the team? And I think that's the hardest thing because you haven't got a direct yeah. thing where in a different sport it might be, well, I know my tee shots are letting me down, so I'll go and work on driver. If the manager's picking the team, he's not picking you. So how did you recalibrate your own goals then? So... You've got the external goal of getting in the team and playing well, but if that's almost been taken out of your control, what did you do to reset there then? I think I think because football moves so quickly, you get those opportunities in terms of someone gets injured or there's a suspension or the manager gets sacked or and you have to make sure you're ready for that. And that is the thing about football. Things can change so quickly, whether it's good, things are going well or or not so well you always have to be ready. You're only two injuries away from being in the team regardless or uh, a red card away from being in the team and 
if you've that's the hardest period for a player if you're not getting picked it's so easy to drop your standards it's so easy to alright I'm just going to go out with my mates a couple of nights a week because I know I'm not going to play anyway or I'm not going to do that gym session because I haven't been playing so what, what's the point it's very easy to fall into that um, did you ever? no so if it's so easy to fall into that why didn't you? Because I think the only way I know how to combat something is is by working harder. Can I do more? Can I work harder? Can I push myself more? And it's almost like a head loss thing that I'm fuming. So I'm going to go out and punish myself. I'm going to go out and run on the pitch and I'm going to make myself hurt. I'm going to go and do my leg weights and that's what I need to do to feel better, to get rid of that tension or that disappointment of not playing or frustration of, you know, I dislike the manager today. Could use different words there, but yeah. Today, he's not my favourite person and I'm going to use, I'm get rid of that energy by beasting myself, basically. Can we talk about when you joined Manchester City? You walked in at a time when they bought quite a few big name players. I wonder whether that made it harder because it was like, wow, I'm one of a group of players there looking to sort of move this club forwards. Or whether it was almost easier that you came in with, you know, Yaya Torre and a few other big names. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, yeah, I, I suppose there's probably pressure going there. Um, going to a team that, you know, you wanted to, to to achieve. And I had a choice of another club who'd won a lot of stuff and I, I chose City because they hadn't won anything for yeah. such a long time and it was attractive to be part of something that starts right. a, new, a new period of success. We could play guess the game of the other club. Uh, Chelsea. What was it? There you go. <laughs> that makes it easier. <laughs> like, is that who you'd have guessed? Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I um, thought United. Why did you, why would you have chosen City over Chelsea? What was the thinking? Well, exactly that. I felt like it was something that they hadn't won anything and it was exciting and it, it was the same again when I went to Liverpool. It was that same sort of feeling like, yeah, amazing history, but they haven't won anything recently and how good would it be to start a new period of success and that was my thinking again. Um, and, and build something and build a, a, a new sort of winning era, if you like. So It's interesting that, because I think most players would go, well, who's won the most trophies recently? I'll go and join a club where I know they win. Yeah, I, I, that was just my thinking. I think it was something that, yeah, that, that appealed to me. You could see they were going somewhere and the harder decision was probably City to Liverpool because I could have stayed at City. But again, that was probably the braver decision in terms of you know, Liverpool's a big uh, pull as well, but it wasn't the level it was, you know, it wasn't the highest level challenge for trophies necessarily when I went there. So that was probably a braver decision and along the same lines. Yeah. But, you know, City was spent, they were spending a lot of money and you could see that it was a good chance to be successful. I hadn't won anything yet in my career. I think we lost, my last season at Villa, we lost in the League Cup final. Um, so being close but not won something and you want to win trophies ultimately Was the echoes of what you said about when your dad would tell you that you couldn't do something it was almost that willingness to go and prove them wrong was there anything that featured in the decision making there that um, Yeah maybe I think like you say maybe there was pressure in terms of all these players the signing and spending a lot of money and they can buy who they want so there's a bit of confidence that they can buy anyone and they've come after me but also you have to back yourself to go there and think amongst all these superstars you have to prove yourself and 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 show you belong at that level and and that was that was a step and you want had to go in there and and all guns blazing straight away and that was probably 
again, the same thing as you want to impose yourself on the pitch, but maybe with a bit more personality off it than I had done earlier in my career, you know, when I was saying younger and you don't want to, you know, you had the likes of, you know, Patrick Vieira in that dressing room and people like that. I still speak to Pat now when I see him and get on with him so well and he used to kick lumps out of me in training every time he went past him. Um, but it was a big personality dressing room. You had the likes of Nigel de Jong, um, Vinnie Company, Jolien Lescott, Mika Richards, Joe Hart and I fit into that group pretty well straight away and it was, it was good fun. There was a lot of banter going on you had to be on your toes there was a lot of uh, in the in the treatment room it was a pretty brutal place but yeah I'd say at that point I was confident in myself I was confident that I could help and be a leader and, and be a big personality in the dressing room and that probably gave me confidence again to be able to go do that in a dressing room full of big personalities I think that was probably um, a next step for me and what did you notice about the the step up in quality and the things those players had done the things those players had won what was like, oh, wow, okay, that's that's what it takes. Yeah, I think it was a step at that time because I got into the England squad around that time as well. So you, 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 you're stepping up again in quality and, and, and the speed of play and people who had achieved things and again, looking at them, what, have they, what are they doing? What, what, how do they deal with things? What are the personalities like? How can I help that? People who had played in different countries and won trophies in different countries. Um, so all these things, again, it was a, another learning curve and... Yeah, dealing with those different personalities because people are coming a lot of money. There was a lot of egos in that dressing room as well. And, you know, being part of that group and was a step in and finding your place within that, I suppose, as well. Well, that period of City's history is interesting because going into Manchester City at that time where they newly minted with the owners coming in, they've not won anything for a long period of time. It was almost a bit of a scattershot approach to recruitment that was made there where they made some mistakes as well as made some great signings as well. So what was the kind of lessons that you saw there that about recruiting the right people? Yeah, I think that's always a big one. And I think, like you say, every year it was the same. There was new, new faces coming in and that was one thing that was a big battle for me, I think, because... You know, if I got left out of the team, there was play certain players who would kick off and it'd be a problem for the team and problem for the manager. So they'd maybe get picked. And there was many times that I probably would have been playing better, or but they knew I wouldn't kick up a force. I'd still train hard. I might not be happy and I might go speak to the manager in the right way, but I wouldn't cause problems. And that affected me. And every year it was the same. They'd sign new players. I'd go to the back of the queue. I had to fight my way in, got the odd game, and then managed to fight my way into the team and play a lot of games from that period it was always felt like it was a constant battle and and that was my sort of feeling at the time but yeah I think like you say there was a lot of players coming in and it was a lot of good players put together and 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 trying to shape the team in that way and every year there was players you knew there was going to be good players coming in again for big transfer fees and 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 it all started again the next year finding the right way for the team to play with the players that have been brought in Is that not quite exhausting though? Yeah it was and I, I did find it hard for sure because um, I knew I had periods where I played really well and I played different anywhere for the team you know like the team always comes first and you know I had games where I played five six positions in a game I remember play right wing left wing right back left back if someone went off injured then I'd go midfield or up front I had a period where I played six games up front and that's you know I'm fine with that the team always comes first and I'll do what I can and 
but it was one of those and I'd play every game in the, the, the League Cup and then I got to the final I got left out of the final and then it was Pellegrini at the time said to me after the final I was like you deserve to play so, well, what am I? What am I meant to do with that? Like oh. that doesn't help. Well, I would wonder why someone would feel the need to say that. Well, yeah. So again, that's how do you deal with that? And, and how did you uh, work hard again? I don't know. That was that was it. It was just like, all right, I'm going to push again. And like you say, it did get exhausting every year. That you're the easy option to leave out, and you you go to the back of the queue, and 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 that was that period really for me. If it not. sounds like being low maintenance actually cost you in that period of your time. So was there ever a period where you felt you should betray some of what had got you this far and start kicking off a little bit? I do believe that if I was like that at times, I would have maybe played more. But then on the flip side, my versatility at times in my career has probably got me games where maybe I wouldn't have played at times as well because I could play different positions and, and do things in, in games. So there's this flip side. I... I've no doubt that it probably has cost me, but I would never change it. I don't think it is the right way. It doesn't. There's a right way to to be and uh, and conduct yourself, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't think. I mean, that would ultimately mean I'm affecting my teammates if I'm sulking in training, kicking off, and and things like that. Um, and it is a team sport, so the t- the team always comes first, regardless of anything else. But that's also you betraying yourself. I think one of the standout themes of this conversation is whatever happens around you, huge success, difficult times, toxic dressing rooms, great dressing rooms, like you stayed true to yourself. Yeah, I think that, that that's important. I think um, the same of any team, but any individual, I suppose you have your, your, your values and, and what drives you and what pushes you and you you wouldn't want to change from that. I think that's yeah. you, you. You are who you are, and and you have your beliefs. And I suppose if you change them, then for me, that's not the right thing to do. I think obviously, if you're going down the wrong path, then you have to change yourself. But I suppose if if you believe it's the right way to be, and and you're fully invested in that, why would you change the way you are? What was the hardest moment at Manchester City for you? I think leaving was a tough decision. I think leaving was. A t- I think the start of every season was tough because new players came in. Like I said, and I had to fight my way back in uh, to the team, um, getting to finals and and helping the team get there, and then you know not playing the final game. Um, but I think leaving was a tough decision for sure. And I had just under two years left, and we spoke to him, and we we're talking. I was I wanted to stay and things like that. And we got to him, said, yeah, we'll talk to you after the transfer window, and that was you know, August time or whatever. And then I didn't hear anything until the March time and it got to that point and it was like, you know, the offer was probably less than what I was, it was less than what I was getting and things like that. And you're thinking, well, every year is the same thing. I'm back of the queue. Is this something I want to do? So at that point, you're thinking, hmm, not sure about this. And I was homegrown. You feel a bit taken for granted. And it got into the next season and the close, that's my final season. And the closer it got to the end, other teams are coming on. And then eventually spoke to the um, the owners and uh, the Caldoon come on and had a great conversation with him. He was brilliant, and the offer got to a point which was you know, you know where it, it should have been originally. But the people I'd been speaking to beforehand, it was like you know we do take you for granted a bit. And by the end, it was that was apparent. And 
leaving Man City is, is tough, you know, like you'd won two league titles close to, you knew you want to win then a European trophy and you think that's a chance and, um, you know, just that decision to Liverpool coming in and and I thought little things like, you know, you deserve to play, comments like that, they stick with, moments like that, they stick with you and it was tough to leave and Liverpool's an amazing club um, and an opportunity and it, it was a tough one to leave City but that was the decision I make and I think at that point it was a huge decision to go there um, and, and leave Man City I could have easily stayed there a lot longer and, and been happy and I, I like my time there but it, it just felt like for me that was the right decision even though it was a tough one I also think it's a really important thing to talk about because football fans get shown 10% of what happens right and then they have to kind of make the rest up because they haven't been given you know the full information so I think for them to know that it wasn't just you wanting to leave the football club and there was other circumstances around it is important yeah 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 I mean if for sure if they'd have offered me with 18 months left and offered at that point I'd 100% signed at that point but when it got a bit longer and you're getting a bit lower and you think well do they really want me am I that much in their plans am I and it went until it got to the point where it looked like there was a chance of me leaving and then people got involved higher up and it was full steam on and like we really want to keep you here we love you but but that, at that point it had gone past the point where you think it's a bit of an afterthought here small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And what hurt more, the fact they left you waiting for ages or the fact that when they made the offer, they were saying, you're going to get a pay cut? Uh, that was the first one and it went to a different way of giving it. And I think basically, you know, if I won the Ballon d'Or three times in a row, I'd have had a pay rise and it was all bonus related and stuff, but it was unrealistic. And like I say, the final offer was yeah. respectable, do you know what I mean? And, and Carl Dean was actually like, we know it's not about money, but, you know, if you name your price and we'll stay and, and we'll give you it. Um, which was nice, but it, it was too late. If that had been a year before... 100% I'd have been at the club but at that point it was just it'd gone too far and um, it, it was tough to leave there I love my five years there and even though they, the fans don't like me too much now for whatever reason um, and it's easy to laugh at that and brush it off but when you've done what you did there you know that amazing Premier League win and many other things as well does that hurt? 
It doesn't hurt. No, I think everyone's entitled to their opinion. I think there's a narrative around that. I, I said things about the club, which I never have. There was a few false headlines and things that I'd apparently said after. And I think people run with that. And you go to a rival and you, you go to a rival and you become the biggest rivals. You knock them out of a Champions League. You go and win a Champions League trophy, which they were desperate for before they do. So you generally see that. If I'd have gone and signed for a championship club, I'd get applauded yeah. out every time I go there. So... It, it is football, but... Didn't they get annoyed by the lasso celebration when you scored against them? Well, the thing about that was they beat us in the League Cup final two days before, so the story around that was... I scored at the Etihad and never celebrated. I've gone to a new team and we used to joke, you're, you're shocking at cards, you're an absolute cowboy. So I said, next time someone scores, I've got to do a lasso celebration. So we play in the League Cup final, lose the League Cup final to City. Devastating lads are devastated we play him in the league a few days later so it's literally three days after that game so score at Anfield obviously we've just lost a, a league cup to them and I've got a decision there I'm thinking well my new teammates who we've just lost a, a league cup to this team we're at Anfield do I do this celebration or not and in that split second I decide to do and it wasn't like I'm running around in front of the, you know, Adibai esque like running into the fans. <laughs> it was literally two steps muted and then that was it. So it wasn't like a rub the salt in it. And obviously if people have taken offence to that, but that was basically the story behind it. So I, in that split second, I felt for my new teammates after losing a cup final to these guys, if I turn around and say, well, I can't, I didn't know what sort of impact that had. So in that split second, that's the decision I made. And like I say, I felt it was pretty muted, but... If and it's also, when it's explained, to it's totally understandable. Yeah, and if people have taken offence to that, I mean, I scored at the Etihad, I think, and I, uh, uh, in a, a penalty scored and, and didn't celebrate. But um, yeah, it is what it is. Some more players score against our ex-teams. Ex you know, I've never said anything bad about it. I haven't got a reason to. They took me there. I feel like they made me a better player. I enjoyed my time there and, and won trophies there. So, and... and you know, they've hurt me a lot more than I've hurt them, I think, with the league titles they've taken off us and things like that. So, Can I ask you something, though, that I think our listeners would be interested in for their own lives? There's something really powerful there about when you were talking about that contract negotiation with City, how you, that even if they couldn't recognise your value, you recognised your own. How do you go about doing that? I think, Believing in yourself, I think again, weighing up your options, where, where, what's my path? Where do you want to be? And you have, I'd like to think to, to, I've made the right decision every step of my career where I've had options and, and weighed it up and touch what it's turned out all right. But I think at that point, you'd think, well, what happens if I leave this club? Like, am I going to play at this level again? Will I win trophies? Is this my only chance to stay and win trophies? length of time at a club like how do you react to that obviously it's easy to get stale in the same place and um, that mentality I remember speaking to Gail Cliche I think it was and he was saying I was at Arsenal for a certain amount of time I got to that point where I was just there too long so I'd been at City five years that's the longest I'd been at any club and all these things and I just felt like it was the right thing to do for me and I'm proud of the fact that I never once wavered my commitment to City in that time like contracts running down if you get injured at that point, you're in, in deep stuck. And I had a knee thing at that time where I was struggling and there's no way I should have been playing, especially with no contract. And I carried on playing. The team needed me and I was playing. And I always gave 100% for the team. And that was right, that was into the stage where it was like in March of April and I was playing in games. I was in agony and and 
you know, that was stupid for me, really. But I put the team first in terms of what it was. And I felt like even though I feel like I've been hard done by by you, I've signed a five-year deal for this club and I'm going to give you absolutely everything for those five years until the day I finish. And then I'm, I'm on my way. And, and looking back, it, it was a bit silly from that point of view. But again, I suppose that's going back to your core values and thinking, you know, that's the team comes before yourself, really. So you use the example when you were at Newcastle, you went knocking on the manager's door, asking, what do I need to do? Did you do the same with Jürgen? Yeah, always. He'll tell you, he'll tell you that. Um, we had uh, a lot of conversations and stuff like that, and we got on really well. We had the odd disagreement at, at times, but I think as long as you go into a manager and you put a clear argument ahead uh, in front of you, giving the reasons why, and, and and it's done in a respectful way, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you know, I'd, I'd like to think managers want that. Um, you know, they've always got the final say, but. Surely as a manager, you want a player to come and say and be unhappy at not playing. And I think that's one of the big things for me. The moment that even now, I know I can't play three games in a week, but even now when the manager names the team and I'm not in the team, I'm annoyed. And the day that I'm not annoyed from not being in a team, I think it's time to hang it up. So what did you say to Jürgen? How did you sell your case for being a midfielder? I think at that time it was it was just like, I mean, I can't remember the exact conversations, but I'd always just go in and say, well, why am I not playing? What, uh, it was never anything personal with anyone else. I would never ever say, why is he playing ahead of me? Or I've done this. That's not, it's my, not? well, it's it's their situation. That's not me to comment on another player. He's got his own opinion of those players. I'm going to ask why I'm not in the team. And even if I believe I'm a better player than someone else, or I give more, I don't think, one, that's fair to my teammate. And, and two, it, it, it is me, I'm the reason I'm going in. So it's like, why am I not in the team? What can I do better? Uh, and basically that's it. And if there's something else, a situation that's gone on or something, you'll talk about that and hopefully get an answer from the manager. And how much would you think, right, what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? What do I want the outcome to be? Or was it much more emotional than that? I'm just going to burst in and blah, blah, blah. No. Um, I think... Once I burst into the manager's office a very long time ago, and that's the only time I've ever done it. When was that? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. Um, <laughs> I'll answer the first bit. The first bit was if I go into my manager, I would think about how the conversation would go. So I'll say what I want to get out of it. I'll think how I put my argument across in the best way to give him reasons to why I'm justifying what I'm saying. And I'd want an answer, ideally, but. I think sometimes when you go for a manager, it's better to give him a heads up you're going to see him because if you catch him on the hop, he maybe hasn't thought about it either. Whereas if I said to him before training, can I get you after training? He might start thinking, right, he's coming to see me about this and he might have a better answer for you rather than saying just something to get you out of his office. So I think that was always important. The once where I burst into a manager's office was I, um, I was at Newcastle and they accepted a bid for me to go to Aston Villa on deadline day after I'd been on loan there. So I went back to Newcastle and um, went down to Villa and um, offer had been accepted, got their deadline day and Martin O'Neill was manager and he said, oh, the, the plug's been pulled on it. I started laughing. I thought he was joking. I didn't know him. So I thought it was his personality. I was like, no, they've changed their mind. They're not doing it. So I went all the way back up to Newcastle, they changed their mind, one of their deals hadn't come through and I went back. So I went back up there, the manager was like, never wanted you to go. Who was the manager? Glenn Roder. Right. 
Um, nev- never wanted you to go. Really happy you're back. You know, it was a club's decision. All right. So my head's all over the place. Club didn't want me. Gone there. Club who did want me. They've pulled the plug. Gone back. Right, fine. I'm ready to go. I'm on it. I, 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 if you haven't done it, let's let's get on with it. That Saturday come, well, I think it was that Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, the transfer window. So that Saturday come, I wasn't in the match day squad. I wasn't even on the bench. And I went in there and said a few choice words. And I think that's the angriest I've ever been in my life, actually. I went into the uh, players' lounge after and uh, my, my now wife's dad was sat there and he, he says he'd never seen me like that. He didn't know what to say. And uh, that that was the one time where and probably the only time where I got that angry and wasn't calculated in what I was saying. And it was probably with good reason, but that's never happened again. And um, I always like to think I'm pretty calm and I have an argument and I know what I'm saying. I know where the conversation's going and I've got a, a way of doing that. Um, but that was the one time and I was only, what was I, 20 at the time maybe. And what kind of manager was Jürgen when a player wants to share their thoughts on his decisions? He was pretty good most of the time. He was open. Um, maybe not at half time. We had one time where he was saying, sharing his thoughts, and I was sharing mine. And I remember him smashing his hands down on the table. Will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> um, but Jürgen was brilliant. Um, had a great relationship with him. Great man off the field as well. Supported our, our charity so much. Um, amazing manager. But yeah, I always felt like he. he most of the time was open and even if you didn't feel like in the conversation he gave you stuff back I felt like he thought about it afterwards Okay. and even if he didn't tell you that you maybe see with how he did things after or something like that I think I felt like he was good at taking it on board and he'd always he's the leader he, he makes the decision but if you've maybe put something in his head and it maybe helped then but he, he, he I think he was pretty good at listening to things like that and I've seen him change a lot in the time with a how did he set standards? Probably the easiest thing to say is he said, whatever we do, we do it 100%. If we're training, we train at 100%. If we play, we play at 100%. And one year, the first year, we played Watford away at Christmas. Um, and I was injured, I didn't go. And we lost at Watford. And we've come back and I'm going in thinking, you know, are we going to have the Christmas party or what the atmosphere is going to be? Because I haven't been in the dressing room. I don't know what's been said or anything. I go in and the manager said... Yeah, we've had a crap result today, but this is our Christmas party. It's for the staff more than anything who work so hard all year round, so we're not going to have faces on. Like I said before, when we train, we train 100%. When we play, we play 100%. And when we party, we party 100%. And I think that was the biggest thing. Like Everything you did was absolutely 100% at all times. And he used that lovely phrase about turning doubters into believers. Was there a moment for you when you went from knowing this guy off the television and following what he'd done in German football to really thinking this is a guy I'm going to follow because I think he's taking us somewhere. I think it just being part of the journey was like you're seeing it happen in front of your eyes the first year where he's inherited a team, got to two finals and lost them, how we reacted to that. And then, you know, fighting, changing the team bit by bit, the players he wanted and, and, and the training. And then the big moments of getting into Europe late in the season getting to a Champions League final it not happening and getting 97 points and the, the, the big one for me is I think losing in the Champions League final coming back the next year getting 97 points and not winning a league title is obviously obscene and then having a Champions League final after that I think that's the big point there that if we don't win that Champions League final 
would that team have been able to get over Champions League last night seven points not winning the league losing another Champions League so I think that final was really big but there was never a moment really where I, I doubted us going into that final and obviously the, the semi-final against Barcelona was a big moment where you know we're losing and he comes in and says um, no team in the world really has a chance to overturn this but it's you and, and we do and I think that gave us the belief then that we could and the the way the night happened and obviously winning the semi-final like that I think that took us on to then go and, and, and win the final I like the fact that you said you're going to come in and control the narrative of nobody thinks we can come back from this but I remember the footage of you getting stuck into Messi from early on like what was it that was going on there that gave you that belief rather than just false optimism yeah I think for me I was emotional after that game as well because it was like I said, the the thought and fear of coming out empty-handed again of what a good team were because, I mean, the first game we didn't play bad, lost 3-0. We went to Newcastle, I think, on the Saturday and scored late to, to win the game, which kept us in the title hunt. Then City were drawing and then Vinnie Company sliced one in the top bin like last minute and that was night before. And I'd seen Vinny do that millions of times and it ended up in the hedge at, at Carrington when I was at City. So, I mean, amazing golf and obviously an absolute balloon burster for us. So we've gone in the next day and all those little things and the manager said, does anyone want to say anything about last night? Nope, right. So that was put to bed straight away with one comment, anyone want to say about last night? No, right, done. Then we build up for it's a the great game. bit of management that actually isn't and it? It was morning of the game. We trained, then we went to the hotel. Then before the game, it was you know I don't think anyone else has a chance, but because it's you, you do. So straight away, it's like this guy believes in his Jesus. And there was just a calmness about the game. I remember the crowd setting the tempo. Like Suarez, amazing play for Liverpool fans, love him. Standing over the kickoff, whistles, boos straight away, and it's like we might have loved you in the past, but not tonight, mate. You're not one of us tonight and set the sort of the tone, get a corner first minute, rap, roll was as if we'd scored and just picked it off first goal, but there was never a desperation. Yeah, I think I gave Messi a bit the first game in 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 the new camp. He's unbelievable what a player, best I've played against, like so much respect for him, but you know, I don't think he cares for me too much, but you know, you can't let the best have it their own way sometimes and yeah, you try and put him out of his stride. Robbo did it at the start of the next game. I think there was a moment where he was on the floor, ruffled his hair and you ride that wave of Anfield and you, you, you can't, you, you show respect, but you have to like not make everything their own way. And this is a Barcelona team with experienced players who've won some serious titles you're talking about. So it's not an easy feat. So everything you can do to try and make it uncomfortable for them, you do. And, you know, we got the first goal and then went in at half time, and then we got the other goals and it was never a desperation. It was just bit by bit and it, it grew and grew. Robbo went off at half time injured. So I've gone to left back, which, you know, with Messi on the field, that's probably not the best position to be in either. So that, that was something else. But, you know, just the team, how we managed to do it. And then, you know, my memory at the end, I think Hendo was struggling um, we were keeping it in the corner at the end and just hanging on and whistle went and Hendo slides towards the crowd and forgot he'd knackered his knee in the game and his knee nearly lost his knee in the turf and you're just like what am I thinking but it was yeah, it was emotional because it felt like like I said to you if we hadn't have come out with anything that year that team would have struggled to bounce back from that and I think the fact we still had that chance to achieve something that year was massive and you also mentioned about the strength of relationships defines a good dressing room 
earlier. Is that something you do deliberately, or does that just um, like does that just emerge given the amount of time you spend together? No, I think it's something we worked on, and it's tough with the amount of games, but you try and do those the, the social things together, and um, you know things as a group, things with families as well, and 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 get the girls involved. So I think we tried to fit those in and early on we had a couple of trips in, in, in the January and we went to Dubai as a team and little things like that and we had a, a team picture on a boat and it was up in the dressing room and those memories and things like that and I think that helped players settle. It was pretty early on in Virgil's career actually. I think we, it was first two weeks at the club when we went there and a trip like that, it's like pre-season when you're away together for a week you feel like you've been there a lot longer than you actually have because you're, you're in together. So I think you have to work at it and it's important but those relationships are key and early on and as well in that group we had the fines and we had a court case and we had a big inflatable dice and you had to roll it and things oh, like and how that. How did that work out? So we had we we randomly drew who was the jury that day and I'd basically be running the court and and arguing why someone should be fined and the jury decide and someone would argue the case if they shouldn't be fined or not. And uh, What sort of misdemeanors are we talking? Well, if, if there was, they were late, but they had a reason or uh, flip-flops in the gym and there's a reason I had to do this and someone was arguing. And you always got the people who argued non-stop. And it was quite funny, actually, because Joel Matip's like one of the funniest guys now and he was in there and he was, I don't think he'd really said too much at that point. And, and he was on the jury and it was like, right, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, double, pay double. And he's got like, and it, people's personalities came out straight away. And it was, uh, it was a good togetherness thing. And, and, and people, I think that these little things just create that, that, that dressing room and enjoying other people's pain. I think as a, what was the role of the dice? So the dice was, you could either pay your fine or you had different things. So one would be a double, double payment. One would get off with it. One would be a forfeit. So I remember, Remember, I think it was Bobby Firmino was on a Swiss ball trying to balance, trying to throw a tennis ball into a foam roller. And he had three attempts and if he got it and he didn't have to pay, like little things like that. Did you get that. it? No, did he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, little things like that. So I, th I think all those things helped when you think about the journey now, help the group become the group. We were joined by Sio Colisi, the, the captain of the Springboks. And he said that, what he tried to do was create a culture so that when you were in the middle of a game and it was full on and there was a lot happening and you looked left and right, you didn't see your teammates. You actually saw your brothers. It's about fostering that kind of an atmosphere. Is that, did it feel like a band of brothers at, at Liverpool? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's important for any, any successful team because in those moments where you, know, you need to win 4-0 or you get a man sent off and you're digging deep or you're hanging on for a win, you know each other and you're so close you know that you're, you're going to go that extra yard for each other you're going to put your head into that challenge for each other you want to go that extra yard for your mate because you don't want to let him down yep. and I think that massively it has to help doesn't it if you're, you feel so close to the people you're on the pitch with as opposed to you know just your randomer I'm desperate to help him out I'm going to run that 20 yards to because I know he's getting toasted by the the, the winger, which was normally me, I, I want someone to come and help me, do you know what I mean, and, and, and help me out. And I think those relationships have to help you. What is the standout memory of your of your time playing for Liverpool when you think back to those days? Where do you go? Um, I think the Barcelona game is obvi an obvious one. The, um, and, and Dortmund, I think those Anfield European nights on, on the field, I'd say they're, they're the moments off the field. I think just the people at the club I had great relationships with the players and, and the staff and um, 
probably the parades. I think the parades, when you've achieved what you wanted to and win a trophy, we're lucky to have a couple and you see people hanging off scaffolding, people hanging off lampposts, like just seas of people in the city centre. I mean, we had one with Calvin Harris on the bus and going down the main street in Liverpool and people everywhere and music blaring. It was like, they're the moments where you can enjoy what you've achieved together and you know, we've achieved this and you see what it means to the fans of their club because ultimately it's their team, you know, their club. They were there long before I was there and they'll be there long after me. I'm renting a shirt there. Can I represent them? And and add to my aim when I got there was can we add to this amazing history of the club? And, you know, the, the league title was a big one because it had been so long since I've won the league title. But for me, that was always the one. I want to change that wall in in the training ground where you walk in and it has the number under each trophy they'd won. I was desperate to change that and every time I did that, that that was amazing. And finally on Liverpool, is there a, is there a, a Jurgen Klopp moment that you kind of reflect on as like, that's that was true leadership, that kind of sums up what that guy did for us? Probably early on was probably when the first season and... We lost the Carabao or the, the League Cup final. I can't remember what it sponsor it was then. The League Cup final and the Europa League final. And it was it was different to what we, you know, the English lads were sat in the corner. Like, he wanted everyone down in the reception. I think Hendo told the story. And, and, you know, we were, like, fuming, like, don't want to be here, want to go back to my room. And he was like, it's important everyone's together. And he got us over and he wanted us all on the dance floor. And they come over three times. Come over, like, no. Nah. Come over a second time, and he come over a third time. What was, he, what was he saying? He wanted us to come over, and it, what he wanted to do, he didn't know at this time, but he said, I want everyone on the dance floor. Was he dancing as well? Yeah, he was having a dance at that time, but he wanted us over to do what he did after that, which I'll tell you. And he was like, he come over the third time, he's like, I'm your fucking manager, get your ass over, basically. And we went over, and like, fuck's sake. And we've gone over, and he, he starts, gives a speech, and he was like, basically saying, this isn't, this is the start of the journey, basically. Look what we've achieved this year. We've only just come in. And, you know, basically, this is it. We're on a start here. Look what we've achieved and what he envisioned after that and what happened. But he was basically saying, look what we've achieved here and we haven't even started. And then he had us all singing, we are Liverpool. And, like, obviously, he's had a couple of drinks with a few of the others. And it's like, I don't drink. So it's like, obviously, it makes it a bit easier for them. And But then you see his vision after. And, again, that was probably the moment where two finals didn't win either. But he saw the bigger picture and he thought, we haven't even started here yet, guys. What did that do for you? I mean, at the time, you're thinking, not sure. It's probably more after that you realise and you're like, at the time, you're like, God, like, it's all right, you've had a drink and that's why. But now you see, and it was like, he wanted everyone to believe, he wanted everyone together. He wanted to say, like, we are Liverpool, this is us, this is where we're going to go from here and we're together in the bad times and the tough times after you've lost a European final. We're together. doesn't matter what happens, good, bad, indifferent we're together at all times and that was the message and you know you, you realise that going forward at the time you're like still fuming I've just lost the European final or whatever but that's the message and you see it and you see the start of the next pre-season and the messages is delivering and I think he sent a text message after that as well can't remember what it was but it was obviously something that said something to all the lads yeah the whole group and something like make sure you're ready because fasten your seatbelts it's on or something along those lines you know what I mean regrets no, not one. Um, not one. I think that's that's something I don't really do. I think I 
analyze everything, think about decisions in the right way and and pull the trigger. And that's my decision and I fully 100% commit to it. And if it is a mistake, well, oh, how can I make it better? Or we've chosen this path, that's it. Like it's pointless regretting regretting like what what you've done you've made that decision you've had time to think about it and you've made that decision and sometimes things work out sometimes don't but how can I make the best of that decision I've made but you know it's amazing to see how well the England team have done and come so close to winning trophies since then but I've never once felt envious or wish I was there or anything like that which I think would be very easy to feel that but I I, I just never have and I suppose that's a nice feeling that I feel like I've made the right decision and I've fully committed to it. What about for you personally, like from a family point of view, what do you feel that retiring has given you? Yeah, I think both for my football and for my family. I think obviously I've been able to spend time with them. My my, my son's birthday um, when they were a bit younger in school was always around the November and there was always an international break. So he spent the majority of his first birthdays in, in Dubai and, and in water parks and things, which was great. And it, it gave him that time. And I think the amount of time I'd played in Nashville football and the amount of time I've had my career, it's relentless. It's 100%. It's non-stop. I think those international breaks now are massive for me. I think when you do something for so long and the intensity, I think those breaks to switch off and have a change of scenery is huge. I think if I was at a place where you didn't get that time off now, I think it would be hard to keep that intensity and keep that desire. But if you have those days off in the international break, you come back refreshed, ready to go again. And um, I think that's been really important because when you do something for so long at an intensity and and put everything into it, you like I said before, with the diet thing, if you're trying to be strict with your diet every single day of every month, I think you, you're going to fail and I think it's the same thing. You need that break, the right time to come out of it and have that switch off briefly to go again and, and keep your intensity and your desire. So can I ask you one question that intrigues me about your story, this, this relentlessness? There's lots of people in your industry as well as plenty of others that would get bored and they look for fads, they look for new new concepts and they'll jump on anything that, that looks bright and shiny that passes them. And how do you avoid getting bored? A following routine? I think um, I think goals is a big thing. I think obviously like it starts when you're a young lad and I want to get in the first team and then you're in the first team and kind of be a regular and then you move club or whatever and it's like right now what's my, I want to get in the England squad and I get in the England squad and can I win trophies and kind of stay there and then you get to an age where everyone's saying mm, you're getting on a bit now and it's like right well I'm going to prove you're wrong I'm going to so every interview you're doing that I do now, it's like, uh, what are you going to do when you're tired and things like that? And it's, you're trying to kick that can down the road. And it's like, you play well now and it's like, oh my God, how is he doing that at his age? And you play rubbish and it's, he's over the hill. Like, he's, he's too old. And and that's the territory, unfortunately. But I think it's, you know, not proving people wrong, but it's every day you go out there, you want to be the best. If you're in pre-season, you want to push people further. Um you know, now it's easier than ever really to to push the boundaries because you're older. So it's like anything good you do, it's like, how is he doing that at his age? Like, how is he still running that age? Or how is he still in the Premier League after 22 years? I want to stand out in the right way and 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 push myself and, and contribute as, as long as I can. And everyone you speak to say, you know, play as long as you can. And, you know, I get the odd niggle here and there now and that's probably from pushing myself a bit too hard at times. But I, w- I just want to keep going as long as I can really and, and um, achieve everything you can. How long have you got left on your current contract? Um, 
Well, it's one, maybe two years from right. this year, maybe one more, depends, games played and things. So, is there fear, is there doubt, is there a few questions about what comes next? How are you dealing with that? Yeah, I think it comes in more even in a football in, in terms of, you know, if I'm injured, is this because I'm older or is it just because I've had injuries like this before anyway? Or, you know, at what point, what I know I'm going to drop off. What is a drop off? Does it mean that one day I get out of bed and I just can't move? Is it a gradual thing? And that's my mindset. It's always been when I was 27, 28, a fitness coach said, oh, you're going to, because I always run the most in training and things like that. So you're going to have to take care of yourself here and drop off. And my mindset was, I don't agree with that. I think if I'm dropping off, I'd rather drop off from here to there instead of there to there. And that's what I've always tried to do. Um, and I think, so that's now you're thinking about that in football, like what does that look like? Or am I still fine because I feel fine and are my performances still the same level? And, you know, the thing you notice is it takes you longer to recover. That's probably the thing that you get when you're older and the nutrition and the ice baths and the cryo and things like that come even more important and then the questions come what are you going to do after so even though I want to play as long as I can then it's what do you do after and I'm very undecided I've done my coaching badges um, but then you look at managers and they get three months to do a job and you think well do I want to do that and then you think well how lucky I've been for the players I've played with the managers I've worked under the years I've worked under the experience I've gained things I've learned is that a shame to come out of the game and not give it back and then it's if you're in football it's the same life again for your family so I talked about family before and you've missed enough already and your schedule is always planned for you and then you go into thinking well when you retire you talk to other players and it's like well Every day I've been told this is your training week, you're training Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, whatever you're here at this time. When you finish, well, what are you training for or what are you going to do that day? And that's a big void to fill as well. So there's all these questions and I've thought about it, as yeah. you can tell, but I have no idea. <laughs> so, and you have to enjoy life as well for a bit, I think, for sure. It's very yeah. hard to have the intensity to go into something straight away without having that time out. There's a certain lady and some kids at home that perhaps need a bit of time with their dad. Yeah, and they've sacrificed so much, which, you know, like you say, people don't, don't see the the times where you're on holiday and you're leaving them to go running and, and you're travelling away with the team and you're coming home moody as hell because you've lost and that's the feeling that I definitely won't miss and one you can never get rid of, you lose a game and you don't really get rid of that until you've trained again and you've run around like an idiot and you've worked out like being left out of the team. It's that same thing when you lose a game. Um. So, yeah, the family put up with a lot and Mrs. has been there from the very start. So she's she's seen the whole journey. So what would the 16-year-old lad that came into that dressing room at Ellen Road make of the James Milner today? How much of it would he recognise? I think he'd probably be happy with what he'd done. He wouldn't rec he'd probably be surprised at playing fullback. I was a jinky winger and pretty quick back then, so he'd probably be surprised at, at that side. But... Um, no, I think when I look at the early period for sure and I feel like how young I was coming from school to making my debut, what, three, four months later to having managers sacked, go on loan, change team, change manager every year. When I look at that and how I dealt with it, I'm surprised but happy and and 
and relieved in a way that I managed to get through that period because it would have been so easy for me to fall along the wayside or or not take my chance when I got it because you have to be lucky. You have to be lucky at getting your opportunity, but you have to take a chance as well. And you you think of all these sliding doors moments of managers getting sacked and one that I remember was at Leeds and um, we're playing at Spurs away, I think, and uh, Ven- uh, Terry Venables pulled me in and he said, you're not travelling. I'd played a couple of games at this point. He said, you're not travelling, you haven't done wrong. I just don't want to expose you too much too soon. Went out and trained. Someone got injured in training, so I travelled. Travelled, wasn't on the bench in the tunnel before the game. Someone got injured in the warm-up. You're on the bench. Got on the bench. Came on the pitch, did well. I think I might have assisted a goal or something. And from, from that point, I'm in. And you think all those tiny little things that have happened. But I managed to take my chance. But it's like you see all these moments in your career now. You're thinking back and you're thinking how I'd managed to get through that or deal with that. You think how it could have been different. Can you believe how quickly it's gone by? Not at all. I remember uh, Nigel Martin, I think it was probably my age now, when I come through at Leeds, and he used to say, enjoy it, it goes like that. And I was like, leave it out, Nigel, I'm 16. And then <laughs> here we are, blink of an eye, and I'm I'm where he was. Right. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, I mean, you're doing something you, you enjoy every day, and I think... Um, the things I've managed to experience, good, bad and indifferent. I've experienced pretty much everything you could hope to experience, you know. And won the lot domestically. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of times. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Right, sorry. <laughs> right, quick fire questions. Right. The three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you need to buy into. Uh, hard work, um, commitment, and trust or respect. What's your biggest strength and your greatest weakness? I think my mindset or relentlessness is probably a strength, but maybe also a weakness. I think at times, like you say, overdoing it or pushing too hard to to prove people wrong or you know not being able to switch off, I'd probably say that is a strength and a weakness. If you could go back to one moment in your life, where would you go and why? Um, say sport in life because you never want to get in trouble with the missus over, over the birth of the kids. They're obviously up there, but um, oh, it's hard to pick one. So hard, and I feel fortunate that I've got more that I could say. But you could go back to my first goal at Ellen Road as a Leeds fan and coming through and scoring on the twenty-eight. I scored twenty-six, twenty-eight, sixteen years old. Families there, season ticket holders, that was so special. But then winning a trophy, you know, like those games where you win a trophy and you're on a parade after, I think they're probably the highlights, yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received and why? Um, probably from my dad was, was, was one, so simple, but anything you practice on your right foot, practice on your left. Simple, but, you know, attention to detail and one that's probably been in there that long. And it's so important, I think. But um, yeah, that's probably stands out from from an early age. I think after that, it's very hard. Like one bit, you like I said, you pick trying to pick bits off from everyone all the time, aren't you? So it's hard to remember one thing. Who's the one player you played with in your career who we should pick up the phone to and invite them on to high performance? I would say. I think Joe Hart would be a good one because I think he's a good personality um, and he's had 
massive highs and 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 big lows as well. And I think he's dealt with them amazing. So I'd say he's definitely a good one. And the final question is: What's your one golden rule for living a high performance life? I think you have to fully commit. I think that's the biggest thing. Whatever you're doing, you have to be all in. If you if if you're whatever you're doing, whether you're training for a marathon, whether you're doing a job of a certain thing, whether you're trying to be a footballer, if you're in, you're in a hundred percent, and that's that. That's probably the only thing you don't want to look back on. Could I have worked harder, or could I have done a bit more, or are you doing everything you can to be the best you you are? And that's every part of your life are you thinking about that and before kids come along on that there's no excuses like you think when you have kids you think what did I do all my time before but when you're a young guy and you're trying to make it in a sport or profession there's no excuse for every part of your life on the field off the field doing more doing extra fully commit to it because people say well I've done everything you can but that's why in a team sport you can compare yourself to your teammates and individuals it's very hard to think well I feel like I've had a good day's work there but you don't know if there's another golfer other side of town who's done twice as much work here twice as many balls analyse more and I think that's the perfect place to finish because I think it sums up what has stood you in such good stead throughout your career in that is the incredible attention to detail finding your own limits surpassing them delivering on them every single day and I think sometimes it's unhelpful to sit and just say, well, natural talent got me to where I got to. There's no doubt you have an incredible natural talent, but I think you are um, a poster boy for focus, determination, consistency, self-belief. Um, and I think it's really inspiring for people to hear your story. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a privilege. The opposite of boring. <laughs> hey? <laughs> <laughs> That's a get it in there somewhere, <laughs> don't we? Damien. Jake, you wouldn't have known what we were sitting here talking to someone that has won every single domestic trophy you can lay your hands on. It was an incredible story, but I think they're the virtues, they're the quiet virtues that we overlook at our peril because to be able to sustain a career as long and as successful as what James has done requires modesty, requires humility, requires the willingness to put the team above your own self-interest. And they're the, they're the quiet virtues, but actually... They're the foundations of any successful team as well. And you can see why he's been so in demand by so many elite coaches. And he also didn't, because again, he is so modest, he didn't really go to town on the deep, deep hard work and the lengths he goes to to get to the top and stay there. Like he was telling me beforehand, he used to have or still does have epidurals every three months because they dull down the pain receptors in, in his legs. Like normal people are not doing that. Yet he doesn't even feel the need to tell us on the podcast that's what he's doing. Because of because he's so humble and he's so modest, um, and I think that that is probably why he was such a brilliant team player, and probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for the career that he that he's had so far. Yeah, well, he said that, didn't he? That he felt that, especially during that Manchester City period of his career, where actually some of these virtues probably didn't help him. You know, they were bringing in bigger names, more celebrated players for bigger salaries every year and he got relegated to the back of the queue he'd gradually quietly work his way back into the first team and then the season would start again and the whole pattern so sometimes that can go against you but then when you're so clear as he was about his values of the sort of person he wanted to be and who he stood for I think that is why he maybe hasn't had the headlines but he's had the length and the respect in his career that he has 
And I think it was also really good to, to actually put some clarity around those big moments in his life. You know, I think Manchester City fans need to know that he was left a bit burned by a contract that took a long time to be offered. And when it was initially offered, the terms weren't great. You know, he has put meat on the bones around that lasso celebration that frustrated City fans so much. He's explained in as greater detail as I've ever heard about how Jurgen Klopp, first of all, created and then sustained that winning mentality, those mentality monsters at Liverpool. His mindset um, is a huge reason why he's achieved what he has above and beyond his physical abilities. Yeah, and if, if we think of it in a full circle, his very first answer he gave was about high performance is at the stage and the age that you are doing the best you can. And then his final answer about his golden rule was about going all in. Those two are not contradictory. So he gave the example, if you're going to run a marathon at 55, maybe your pace is going to be slower than you would have done it at 25, but you can still do the best marathon possible for a 55-year-old. And I think that's the message that I'd want anyone listening to this to come away from, is that you might not have the talent of James Milner, you might not have the interest in football that James Milner obviously has, but whatever it is, wherever you are, you can still achieve your version of high performance by taking the lessons of going all in, looking at the minutiae of detail and behaving with the real humility to whatever your ambition or goal is. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, mate. No, that was a real privilege, that one. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of High Performance. Don't forget, most people that listen do not subscribe. By subscribing, you help grow the channel and we can attract even more incredible names to come and have these kinds of conversations. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to remain humble, curious, empathetic and find your own version of High Performance. Thanks for listening. 